We've been on a Romans road for three months. Did you realize that? Back in early February, we started with chapter 12. We stepped on the road, and it's been a road of instruction. If you want to read ahead, help yourself. I'd encourage that. I don't think I can guarantee extra credit for the class, but uh, you, you'll find some good things ahead. And it's, it's, so, it's fun to sit and take notes and hear what the pastor is going to say about it. Will you stand with me, please? I want to back up just a verse and a half to talk about where we've been just recently. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment, fulfillment of the law. And in verse 11, and do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The word of the Lord. Thank you for your attention. Thanks, Gail, and thanks for pointing out um, those previous verses. And then, and do this, and do this, understanding the present time. That's the encouragement. You need to do this loving thing. Love your neighbor. Um, we, you've seen that uh, mirror on, on the right side of your... You know what those are, don't you? The mirrors? It's, not the one in the middle, not the, the, the outside mirrors on the car. The one on the right side is okay. Anyway, look, I know, look, it helps you see what's behind you. And it's one of my pet peeves because I think there's a lot of people out there that have no clue those things are on the car. But anyway, <laughs> um, a lot of times it says something like this. Objects may appear closer than they are, something to that. Effect. Okay, objects are closer than they appear. It's a convex mirror. It's intended to give you a kind of a wider field of view, but because of that, it does make things look farther away than they actually are. And so Paul says, and do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up. Paul is saying, it may appear that things are farther away than they actually are. The Apostle Paul seems to be concerned here about the passage of time. You know that in Paul's day, and he mentions it quite often, he felt like the return of Jesus was imminent. Jesus could be back any day. We really need to live that way, don't we? Because we don't know. You know, I I, I prayed this morning about that accident on I-70. 
I would just about guarantee you that the folks who lost their lives that day did not expect that they wouldn't make it home that night. And I'm not trying to be morbid, but that's the truth of the matter. We're not guaranteed the next hour, the next minute, tomorrow, next week. We aren't. Um, Jesus could come back or we could go to Jesus. You know, um, and you probably have this sense like I do. Remember, I remember when I was a kid, like in grade school, the school year was like forever. When is summer going to get here? Do you remember that? The school year seemed like five years long. Now, time just... You know what I'm talking about? I'm, it's like, wait a minute. How do our kids grow up and go to college and graduate and get married and have kids already? Someone wrote, what happened to time? When I was a child, I laughed and wept. Time crept. When as a youth I dreamed and talked, time walked. When I became a full-grown man, time ran. And as I grew older, time flew. Soon I shall find while traveling on, time gone. You know, think about our country in the past 20 years or so, and the tragedies we've endured. We talked a little bit about this in Sunday school this morning. You know, when God allowed tragedy to strike His people Israel, it was to wake them up to their condition and to their need for Him. That's why God allowed these things to happen. I was saying in Sunday school this morning, I'm reading right now in my year Bible, the, uh, I'm in the book of Judges. And it makes it very clear in there. These, the, the people would drift away from God. They'd start worshiping the idols of their neighbors. God would put up with it so long and He'd say no more. And pretty soon the Amalekites or the Amorites or the Midianites or some nasty neighbor was in there wreaking havoc and causing problems. And, and that would go on maybe for years. And finally the people would cry out to God. And God would be merciful and answer their prayers and raise up a judge to deliver them. And there would be peace in the land for a while. 20, 30, 40 years. And then they'd forget about God again or die out. And the next generation would come up. And here we go all over again. So when God allowed disaster to strike His people Israel, He did that to wake them up to their condition and their need for Him. You know, when when people die, when thousands of people maybe die in hurricanes or terrorist attacks or epidemics, it should serve as a wake-up call for the rest of us. And honestly, I'm... Concern, maybe a little discouraged about the fact that some of the things that have happened in our country in this last time period I was talking about really haven't served to do much to wake us up. We didn't wake up. It's still... Or if we woke up, it was just kind of like, eh, and a roll over in bed and go back to sleep, that kind of a thing. So we make our plans, we set our goals, we look to the future... 
We expect to be here tomorrow. But none of those who died this past week on I-70 or in any of these tragedies that I mentioned expected to meet their God as soon as they did. We don't know if Jesus will come today or tomorrow or if we will have today or tomorrow to prepare for His coming. We don't know that. You know, the, for Paul, and that's what he's trying to do here, he's trying to develop a sense of urgency for Christ's return. Not only is time passing, but with every hour and every minute that passes, the coming of Christ draws near. We can't deny that. We're, we're closer now than when I started this message just a few moments ago. We don't know when He will come. But we know that He will, because He said He would. And we know He will come at a time when we don't expect Him. He said that too. And we, we see uh, throughout the New Testament this urgency or this thought of the return of Christ. 1 Corinthians 7.29, it says, The time is short. James 5.8 The Lord's coming is near. 1 Peter 4.7 The end of all things is near. 1 John 2.18 This is the last hour. Revelation 1.3 The time is near. So if we, we consider those Scriptures and they're saying that 2,000 plus years ago how much closer are we? We're at least 2,000 years closer. So it's time to stop pushing this snooze button in our Christian lives. It's time to get up, get dressed, and go to work. It's time to wake up. One of the things I really didn't enjoy when I was a kid was my dad walking into the room at 4.30 in the morning, flipping on the light, and yelling, time to get up, the day's half over. That happened in the summertime because we never we never had anything to do. That was kind of my dad's view. But he always had something for us to do. So, get up. Wake up! And, you know, Paul, that's what Paul's saying here. Wake up! Now, it's, we're not talking about a literal, you know, like dad coming in, turning on the light and waking us out of a dead sleep. This is a figurative thing he's talking about. Alright? It's like, um, I used to teach biological science. And um, one of the frustrating days for me was lab day. Because that was really the time when you had to tell them, tell them what you told them, and tell them again. And then somebody would always say, Mr. Siever, what do we do? 
But I remember sometimes, you know, teaching on whatever it was, you know, the things they just love like photosynthesis and uh, the reproduction of the cell, that stuff that's really riveting to most of us. They'd kind of be sitting there like, and you want to say, wake up! You know, engage your mind, get in the game. Do you know what I'm saying? A coach will kind of be trying to teach a new player or something to a team and they're just kind of going through the motion and the coach says, wake up! That's what Paul's saying here. You're alive and you're kind of going through the motions, but folks, you need to wake up because you're asleep to some things. Time is short. Souls are precious. So, what do we need to wake up from? What is Paul talking about here? Well, first of all, we need to wake up from the sleep of indifference. We need to wake up from the sleep of indifference. In Revelation chapter 3, and this is verses 15 and 19, John writes, well, this is Jesus speaking, I know all the things you do that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. And then he goes on to say, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. I don't care. And that's exactly what it means. It may sound harsh, but that was the attitude. I, I don't care. I'm indifferent. Larry Crabb, in his book, Finding God, writes this, the core problem is not that we are too passionate about bad things, but that we are not passionate enough about good things. I don't care. You know, some people think that the opposite of love is hate, but really the opposite of love is indifference. I don't care. See, love will find a way, indifference will find an excuse. Kitty Genovese was the young woman who was murdered in a New York, New York City residential section while at least 38 neighbors watched from their windows. During the course of the 30-minute assault, not, not one person even telephoned the police. Studies have uncovered some surprising facts about these people. Interviews re- revealed that they were not totally indifferent, as many had suspected, The main reason nobody did anything was that each person thought someone else would take the initiative to get help. Indifference makes excuses. Well, I thought they would do it. That that defines indifference to me. And so Paul's warning, wake up from your indifference because we can be indifferent to the plight of the lost. Hey, long as I have my ticket stamped, I'm good. We can be indifferent to worship. We can come in, we can go through the emotion, we can go home totally unaffected by what we've just experienced. We can be indifferent to service. Somebody else will do it. And so Paul's warning them, wake up. Wake up from the slumber, the sleep of indifference. He also says, wake up from the sleep of complacency. Listen to what the writer to the Hebrews says in chapter 5, verse 12 through verse 
chapter 6, verse 2. Hebrews 5, 12 through 6, 2. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, Instruction about baptism, the laying out of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. He was talking to a people who become complacent. I've got Jesus. I'm good. Listen, here's the definition for complacency. Self-satisfaction accompanied by an unawareness of actual dangers or deficiencies. And Paul was saying, uh, there's some gaps in your understanding. There's some gaps in your learning. There's some gaps in your maturation process. Wake up. See, too many are satisfied with their progress in the Christian life. They're willing to allow Christ to be Savior, but unwilling to let Him be Lord of every aspect of their lives. If a, um, Henry Ward Beecher said this, if a man comes to a point where he is so content that he says, I do not want to know anymore or do anymore or be anymore, he is in a state in which he ought to be changed into a mummy. You're stagnant. You're stationary. You're not growing anymore. You know what happens to stagnant water? It begins to stink after a while. The church is under assault from, uh, from complacency. In the parable of the talents, Jesus taught that there would be people, believers, who have the Word of God choked out of their lives by the cares, riches, and pleasures of this life. And this proclamation of Jesus is happening in our own country, and it's happening in God's church. So, so by that, I mean that there are many churches full of people who are sat, satisfied to get a teaspoonful of Scripture now and then from the preacher, but who put little or no energy into studying the Word for themselves, People who are more concerned with laying up treasure for themselves on earth than laying up treasure in heaven. People who may show up on Sunday morning but have little real interest in the things of God and who put little real energy or an investment of either their time or money into the work of His kingdom. As if coming to church and filling a pew and warming a spot is all that God would ever expect of us. May God deliver us from our complacency and snap us wide awake to eternal realities. Sir James McIntosh said, It is right to be contented with what we have, but never with what we are. 
Ronald Meredith, in his book, Curry and Big for Little Reasons, describes one quiet night in early spring. He says, Suddenly, out of the night came the sound of wild geese flying. I ran to the house and breathlessly announced the excitement I felt. What is to compare with wild geese across the moon? I might, it might have ended there except for the sight of our tame mallards on the pond. They heard the wild call that they had once known. The honking out of the night sent little arrows of prompting deep into their wild yesterdays. Their wings fluttered a feeble response. The urge to fly. To take their place in the sky for which God made them was sounding in their feathered breasts. But they never raised from the water. The matter had been settled long ago. The corn of the barnyard was too tempting. Now their desire to fly only made them uncomfortable. Complacency. And then Paul says, we need to wake up from the sleep of deception. Paul writes in Titus chapter 3, verse 3, At one time we too were foolish, foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. You know, the church is under assault from deception. And unfortunately, we bought into it in some cases. The scriptures are full of warnings about this very issue. For example, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, Jesus warned that there would be false Christs and false prophets who would show great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. In other words, those chosen and set apart by God as His own. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, the Apostle Paul warns, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. we got a lot of great ideas, don't we? Listen, that's not what the Bible means. I, I probably mentioned this to you last week, but I'm because it bothers me. You know, there uh, I think it's since passed, but there was a bill um, in Tennessee to protect the unborn. If there was a heartbeat detected, you could not per- perform an abortion. I think it, it passed. But before it did, 151 pastors in Tennessee signed a letter opposing that bill. Deception. We're deceived. Somehow we think that, you know, we can make all... um, Their big thing was we trust women to make the right choice. Okay? Another... Somewhere in the letter it said, well, you know, it needs to be about a living wage. If people made a living wage, they wouldn't have to abort their children. 
You know what was really disturbing to me? We were able to call up a list of the names that signed. There were two Nazarenes on that list. They weren't, I don't think they were clergy. I think they were lay people, but they'd signed off on this letter. I mean, there shouldn't be any, but it really bothered me that people from our own denomination had signed off on this. Honestly, some of the people who signed off didn't surprise me because we're hearing about that in the denominations they represent now. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. And, and folks, this thing is happening all across America. It's, it's, a, it's, it's the battle we're engaged in right now. Falsehoods and teachings meant to deceive are pouring forth from every corner. And, and it happens, you know, it's not just the liberal media and institutions. It comes from the other side as well when it serves their purposes. And even from the pulpit, I'm sorry to say. Teachings that would have us jettison biblical teaching in favor of experience. Doctors, doctrines that would have us compromise biblical truth in the name of unity. Practices that would have us deny biblical truth in the name of tolerance. Worst of all, there are many subtle diversions from the truth of God's Word which would lead us even to deny Jesus as God. These are days of great deception. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, For the time will come, when people will not put up with sound doctrine. If you, per, if you, if you, per, if you preach sound doctrine, you stand to be, uh, you're mean-spirited, you're unloving, because you, you tell people what the Bible says. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine instead to suit their own desires. They will gather around them a great number of te teachers who say what their itching ears want to hear. Oh, I like the sound of that. The sleep of deception. And then I think Paul is saying, wake up from the sleep of worldly attachments. 1 John 2.15 Do not love the world or anything in the world. If, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I think this is one of the things that um, is especially an issue for us as wealthy Americans because we are. Listen, set us aside... Set us beside the vast majority of people on this planet. We're wealthy. So, it, I think it's a danger to us. This is one we can easily get caught up in. Some have called it the kingdom of thingdom. You've heard that expression, maybe. So, 
So it's possessions, money, recreations, hobbies, those things that we would look at as status symbols. See, signs of success in our minds often are wrapped up in how much we have or the brand that's on what we have or how much what we have costs. The, the problems created then relate to how much we, time we spend using what we have. I mean, hey, I paid a lot of money for that and it's not going to sit there. I'm going to use it. Or how much we have to work to pay for what we have or to maintain what we have. So, what happens is the things of God take second place, a back seat in our lives because our stuff becomes more important. We don't have time and we don't have money for the things of God because we're too heavily invested in our things. Problem. And listen, there is encouragement and enticement and pressure all around us to live exactly like that. that. That's what credit cards are all about. Fill this one, get another one. You can get more stuff that way. God help us. Wake us up. And then Paul, and this one is not on your outline, and I'm sorry, but... As I was putting it together, this occurred to me. We need to wake up from the sleep of spiritual deafness. Wake up from the sleep of spiritual deafness. See, it, that's, that's when we no longer hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And it isn't because the Holy Spirit isn't saying something to us. It's a, it's a matter of we've grown deaf to His voice. And this happens in a variety of ways. Number one, we just refuse to listen. We tell ourselves, well, that's not the Holy Spirit because we don't like what we're hearing. So we just deny that's the Holy Spirit. We refuse to listen. Or we resist the voice of the Holy Spirit. We hear, but we choose not to respond. Or we drown out the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I think this is huge. We drown out the voice of the Holy Spirit through the busyness of our lives. We never slow down and get quiet. And God's not going to shout us down. How, how does He... Remember how when He spoke, it was in that still, small voice? I don't know if God's ever yelled at me. Now, there's been some times when it was pretty clear what He was saying. So we're so engaged in other things that we cannot hear the quiet voice of the Spirit. And I think about the impact that technology has had on that. Even when we do have downtime, we put something in our ears or on our heads or in front of our eyes. So we're on the phone or the computer or watching television or have headphones on or earbuds in. 
That, that way you can kind of drown out, you know, you don't have to listen anymore. And then, you know, the Spirit speaks to us most consistently through the means of prayer and Scripture. So if you don't want to hear God, don't engage in those spiritual practices. Just avoid prayer and the Word. And then, way you don't have to hear from the Holy Spirit. That way he won't tell you scary things and things you don't want to hear. Wake up. Wake up. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. So then, let us not sleep as others do. We've got a world of people that are sound asleep. And they like it that way. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. And in other translations, it says, let us keep awake and be serious or clear-headed. Paul, looking at the time and seeing how the return of Jesus is drawing near, and we're 2,000 years down the road from that, said, there's an urgency for lost souls. Wake up. Listen, Love your neighbor as yourself. Wake up. I'm saying this to you because of what I just said to you. Wake up. So here's a question I want to leave with you today. Do I need to wake up? Is there one of these areas where I need to wake up? Or maybe I need a great awakening. Maybe I need a great awakening. Pray with me. Wake up, O sleeper. That's what you're telling us. You're warning us. Don't be fooled. Don't be complacent. Don't be indifferent. Don't get attached to the things of this world. Don't shut off the voice of the Holy Spirit. Wake up. And Lord God, maybe this morning we need to confess that we've been asleep in some areas of our lives. And people have gone right on by. People whose lives we were supposed to have an impact on. People who we were supposed to say something to. People we were supposed to reach out in love and service to. And we were asleep. And Father, I don't know how you work in those circumstances. I don't know if that's a once-for-all missed opportunity. We'll have another chance or some other believer who is tuned in. But Lord God, we confess this morning, maybe we've been asleep in an area of our lives. And we want to wake up. Jesus is coming. Souls are precious. So, Father, this morning, we take a moment to confess to you and to repent. 
to admit, Lord God, maybe I've been asleep in an area of my life. I've been indifferent. I've been complacent. I've been attached to the things of this world. I shut off the voice of your spirit, whatever it may be. I confess that. I confess it as sin. It's disobedience at the heart. And I repent. I repent of that. I, Lord God, wake me up today. Your Holy Spirit speaking to me right now. Wake me up. Wake us up as a church. Wake us up as a denomination. Wake us up as a nation, Lord God. Wake us up. Because we don't know if we have tomorrow. And you've called us. You've called us to love. Love our neighbor. Love you. And with that in mind, we've got to wake from our slumber. Oh God, work in us. May we be alive. May we be energetic. May we be active. May, may we, we not be deceived by the enemy. May we not be complacent or indifferent or attached to stuff that will burn up someday. Or deaf to the voice of your spirit. But rather moving in the flow of your spirit. As you lead and direct our lives day by day. And Father, for your forgiveness for us. As we confess to you. And the strength to walk in repentance. And your grace that will walk with us. As people who are awake. In the world where we live. We give you thanks. And give you praise. And pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.